Hello, everybody. My name's Tim Perko, and you're listening to I Believe. Now what? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of I Believe Now What. I am your host, Tim Perko. And if you are new to this podcast, I would just like to tell you that I Believe Now What is a podcast that is geared towards equipping Christians with the proper tools uh, for understanding and edification and just learning, learning and growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and about the Bible period. We'll do, for the most part, we like to do Bible studies, but every now and again we'll get into different topical discussions or maybe have an interview or two, or every now and again I get an opportunity to preach somewhere and I'll upload those sermons. And that gets us into our episode for today. Today is actually a very special episode. For the very first time, I got to preach at my home church, well, my current home church. If you did not know, I am active duty military, so I am always finding a different church sadly every few years but i got to preach at my home church where i'm at right now and that was such a blessing i've preached in different churches in this area already before but this was the first time i got to preach at my home church and i keep repeating myself but um like i said it was it was a pretty big deal for me because when you go up in front of a a group of strangers and then you talk to them about the word of God, it's a lot easier, you know, because you might never see those people again. I always encourage questions and I always encourage contact and I give my contact information at the end of sermons. But when it's your home church, these are the people you see every single day. And especially sometimes maybe they might not believe the same things you do, uh, you know, when you get outside different areas besides just the base gospel message. And it's always, you know, it could be a little bit intimidating for you. But I was excited. I was pumped up and I was ready. And that is what today's episode is. It was on the topic of worship. My pastor assigned it to me to preach for that Wednesday night service. So please enjoy this message. Once again, the topic of this message is true worship. And y'all have a great one. And I will talk to y'all later. Okay, so tonight I have been blessed enough to talk about the topic of worship. And I'm really blessed that Pastor Vic let me talk about this topic because this is something that is so important in our Christian walk of faith. I mean, it's everything that we do. It is worship. So as a disclaimer, I do want to say, did that make weird noise? Yeah. (laughs) As a disclaimer, I do want to say that, uh, you know, I I personally do not believe that while we're here on this earth and we are imprisoned in this fleshly body right now, that we will ever 100% truly worship God the way that he should until we go to heaven. But that does not mean that we cannot worship in a way that pleases him, obviously. So, with that being said, I don't want you to say it out loud, but think in your head the very first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word worship. Don't say it out loud. I don't want you to get called out. Okay, so now in preparation for this sermon, I did like every other good person does, and I took the Google. And then I started typing in the word worship. What do you think was the very first thing that popped up? What? No. It was actually psalms. It was worship psalms. Before I can even finish the word worship, worship psalms was the first thing that came up. Now, worship psalms, worship music is an amazing form of praise, and it is an amazing form of worship. But at the end of the day, what I just want to clear right now is that's exactly what it is, is a form of worship. We don't want to get stuck in that mentality where music is our only form of worship. When we come here and for the first 30 minutes of church and we start to sing and praise God, we think that's the only form of worship. I just want to get that, clear that air out. 
Uh, we're a good Bible-believing church, so I don't think any of you think that way, but just to clear the air, get the misconceptions away. Music is exactly that. It is a form of worship. And it's encompassed in that big, much larger circle of worship. So, as we continue on, we're going to go ahead and get into our base passage. And if you would turn with me to John chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. And as you're turning there, if you're not familiar with this passage, I'm going to go ahead and give you a quick little refresher. Uh, This is where Jesus and his disciples, they came to a town called Samaria. And the people of Samaria, if you didn't know, they were despised by the Jews. They were viewed as dirty half-breeds, and in even some cases, they were viewed lower than the Gentiles. That's how much they were despised. And they stopped in this town, and this is where Jesus struck up a conversation with a Samaritan woman. And in that conversation, we're going to go ahead and pick up where they were talking about what true worship is. John chapter 4, verses 20 through 24 reads like this. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. And don't miss this key part right here. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I really want to, you you may be seated. Thank you very much. And I really want to say, hang on that word, must worship in spirit and truth. It's not a should worship. It's not a can worship. It's not even a will worship. It is a must worship. We must worship in spirit and truth. You're going to keep hearing me say that over and over again tonight. So we see now that true worship is worshiping in spirit and in truth. And obviously, hey, if you didn't know, I'm from the north, so I talk kind of fast. So if I get too fast, just yell at me and I will slow down, all right? (laughs) Breaking back into my Midwest ways up here. Now that we see the true worship is worshiping in spirit and truth, now that leaves us with the question, what is? is spirit and truth. We're going to attempt to answer that tonight. So let's go ahead and look at our base passage right here in John chapter 4. The word spirit, first thing I want to concentrate on, the word spirit in verse 24 is actually talking about our spirit. Not the Holy Spirit, but our spirit, our innermost being. What Jesus is saying about worshiping in spirit is that it's, it's not just good enough to show the outward signs. They had a big problem with that back then. You know, the Jews showing all the outward signs of worship, but it wasn't inward. He's saying it's more than just the outward signs of worship, but rather it's inward. It's a heart thing. Is God the center of your life? And as for the word truth, that one's a little bit easier. It's pretty much everything that God said about himself inside the Bible. That's why we're so big about the Bible in this church, because nowhere else are you going to find the truth. This is where God reveals himself. And then after becoming a Christian and you're reading through, God starts revealing things to you through his word. You know, almost like special revelations. It's amazing when you actually dig in and see these things. And when we're reading the truth, you know, I can read one verse and God can speak to me one way through that. Pastor Vic can read the same verse and it's speaking a completely different way to him. But this is where God reveals himself. It's not anywhere outside of it. It's right here in this word. 
I don't, don't get me lost here, all right? So I do want to say something about the uh, revealing in Scripture, okay? Now, in that, we have, as humans, sometimes, especially when we're new to the faith or maybe we're just partaking or tasting of the faith, we're kind of beaten in from the outside, especially when we weren't a Christian yet, and it's really more applies to that. But in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 23 is a reference to that. We're not going to show it up here, but just write that down as a reference. In that verse, it's talking about creating a God of your own mind, all right? And now, this is why it's important we stick to Scripture, because you, just go to the streets. You know, there's a whole bunch of evangelist videos out on YouTube, things like that, and you can see where people will ask them, hey, what do you think about God? What do you think about God? And oftentimes, they're going to describe a God of their own mind, of their own creation, of what they heard from other people, as opposed to the God of the Bible. So I keep beating it up, but it's serious. Stick to Scripture. That's how God reveals himself. All right, so now that we answered what spirit and truth is, let's go ahead and get to our next point, and that is how do we do it? So we know what spirit and truth is. How do we worship in spirit and truth? So I'm going to go ahead and break this down into a few points. Point number one, we must understand that our spirit must be made alive in Christ Jesus in order to worship God. Because apart from the Holy Spirit, we are utterly depraved and we cannot please God. And this is made clear and evident in Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 8. And what I'm pretty much saying with all that is you need to be a Christian if you are going to properly worship God and worship God in a way that he accepts. Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 8 reads like this. For the mind that is set on the flesh is death, but the mind that is set on the spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, is life and peace. Because the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What exactly this verse is saying is that apart from being a Christian, apart from having the Holy Spirit in you, apart from being redeemed, being born again, a new creation, we are not going to be able to please God in the flesh. It's all in vain. Now, point number two. We must come to God utterly broken and repentant of our sins. This is key. So now we got point number one. We know that we have to be a Christian. Number two, we must come to him broken and repentant of our sins. We're setting up for the worship with this. To reference this, we're going to go ahead and look at Psalms chapter 50, verses 16 through 23. And here we see God telling us, how much he does not accept worship from those who continually disobey him. And if applied to now in the period of grace, because obviously this was under the old covenant, applied to now in the period of grace, this would be referred to as walking in sin. You can be a Christian and continue to have some unrepentant sin, but you know God's going to come along and get that Holy Spirit after you. He's going to chase you. He's going to beat you down, bring you back to him. Okay, so reason why I picked this verse, honestly, this passage, because it's beautiful. Because number one, like I said, it shows God saying how much he hates horrible worship, like when your heart's not right. And then it also says how much, or he gives us the key. He gives us the answer in the bottom. Let's go ahead and read. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite, recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline. And you cast my words behind you. 
If you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free reign for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. But now, you thought, this is key right here, you thought that I was one like yourself. There we go, coming back up to the creating a God of your own mind. We have to stay away from that. The Israelites were making a key mistake in thinking God was just like them. But now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart, and there would be none to deliver. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. And I missed the first part there on 23. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. See the hope in there? God shows us, you know, the angry dad side. And then he goes ahead and shows us, all right, now that I've yelled at you, I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to show you the proper way to do it. And that is offering thanksgiving as a sacrifice. And we're going to go ahead and see an amazing example of that right now. Turn with me to our next verse if you're following along in your Bibles. Psalms chapter 51, verses 1 through 17. Now as we're going there, here we're going to go ahead and see King David. I'm sure everybody's familiar with the story of King David and all the things that he's done, good and bad. But I'm going to go ahead and give you a mini refresher. This is David writing a psalm after all the horrible sins that he had just committed when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and for all intensive purposes, murdered Uriah, her husband. And all of that was done into an attempt just to cover up a baby that was born out of this adulterous relationship. Don't you see the tangled webs we weave when we try to deceive? Anybody ever hear that old saying? All right, well, as we're reading this, I want you to honestly... Think about how David was when he was sitting there writing this. Think about something that maybe you have done where you sinned against God. Think about the pain that he was feeling, the shame, the utter brokenness when he was penning this. And hold on to that feeling. It reads like this. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. His sin is ever before him. He can't sleep. He can't eat. He can't do anything without seeing the sin, the shame of his sin all over the place. You ever feel like that? I feel his pain against you and only you I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. What he's doing, he's saying is I'm not even worthy. I am so low. I am nothing compared to you, God. I was born into sin. I am absolutely nothing apart from you. He's humbling himself. He's breaking himself down. But not only that, let's continue on. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. 
Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. That's His Spirit. In our spirit. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, and let the bones which you have broken, God, rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from this blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, that my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open up my lips that I may declare your praise. He's saying, open up my lips. He doesn't even want to speak. He's too ashamed to talk. He has to have God open up his lips for him. Do you feel his pain, his shame, his guiltiness, his brokenness before God? For you do not delight in sacrifice. Otherwise, I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. And mind you, this is Old Testament. And he's saying, you are not pleased with sacrifice or burnt offering. Verse 17, this is key. Mark this down. Underline it. Highlight it. Whatever you have to do. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Such as it was in the Old Testament in the time of David, and same as it is right now in the new covenant with Jesus Christ. When we come before God, we come to Him broken in a contrite heart, realizing He is so much higher than we are. And there is no other path to salvation besides Him. This is how we present ourselves when we come to worship God. We don't have enough time, but I highly encourage you to go ahead and look up some of these other chapters and these other passages that I have here. Write them down, whatever you got to do. But Luke 18, where the tax collector was beating his chest, saying, Lord, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. He recognized his own sinfulness. Or Isaiah 6.5, where in a vision, Isaiah only just had a glimpse, an utter glimpse of God's glory. And he broke down and cried out, Woe is me, for I am ruined. He just saw a glimpse, a glimpse, something small. Not even the full glory of God, and it called him to cry out. Even in this same passage, we see the seraphim cannot even look upon the face of God. They have to use their wings to cover their face as they cry out, Holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord of hosts. You see, brothers and sisters, the point of all this is that true worship is in how we view God and how that manifests into our everyday lives. What does it do to turn it into our own words and deeds? The Spirit of God in us. Just look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. And we have been going over this text for the past few Sundays. And every single time that it was up here, and every single time that Pastor Vic had it up here, I just kept thinking of the same thing over and over again. What does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? Until it was burned in my heart. This is true worship. 
The whole point. This is true worship. Read with me. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living, living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you, us, the church, the body, may prove that the will of, what the will of God is and that it is good and acceptable and perfect. Key thing I want you to get out of this. Look at this. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He didn't say our spirit, because God already has that. He said our bodies. So you might ask yourself, what do you mean by that? Didn't Paul in chapter 7 say our flesh and our spirit are at war with each other, and when my flesh sins, that's not me, that's my flesh, and my spirit longs for God? Yes, absolutely, but at the same time, that's not an excuse, because if you just go back up to Romans chapter 6, Paul talks about how we have to exercise our members into righteousness and godliness. It's not good enough to say, oh, that's not me sinning, that's just my flesh. I'm changed on the inside. Well, if you're truly changed on the inside, it's going to manifest on the outside because that's how the Holy Spirit works. It consumes every bit of our being. Or you can go back to what Pastor Vic said a few weeks ago when he talked about masks, wearing the mask. Are we wearing that Christian mask? That's what we're getting at. You know, I once heard a preacher say he remembers stumbling across a Michael Jackson concert on TV. And in the audience, he just saw the masses just hanging on every word that he sung. They were crying. They were fainting. Probably spent a fortune just to get up there. And he concluded to himself, that this was nothing short of worship. They, exactly, they were worshiping a man. A man who would do nothing more for them than write music that they would eventually pay for. But yet, so often, we stumble into church, sometimes late, and find ourselves yawning having side conversations, thinking about other things than what the message is, complaining about the music, complaining about the message. Is this how we as the body of Christ come to worship the mighty God of the universe? The same God, the same Jesus that people were burned on the cross for for trying to get the Bible translated into our own languages? The same God that people in Egypt right now are being beheaded for? The same God in China where people are being shot for just preaching? Have we gotten so comfortable in our little shell in America here of our freedom of religion that we started having a lackluster form of worship? And don't worry, I'm not pointing just at you. I'm pointing right back at myself. God was beating me up when I was studying this. Because as I said in the beginning, there is always going to be room for improvement. But honestly, think about it. I've always been curious. Take away the stage, the guitars, the lights, the AC, the building. How many people would show up? 
There's people in North Korea risking their lives from China to just get Bibles down to them. And they have to hold service in a cave in fear of their life. But yet, we might not go to a church because the AC isn't right or we don't like the music. We have a privilege here of worshiping God. We need to worship him the way that he commands us to worship. Take an example of an exodus. I'm thinking of it right now, and this is kind of off the cusp, but an exodus when Moses had to take the tabernacle, or I don't think it was called the tabernacle yet then, but where he had to take the place where you worship God, and he had to move it outside the camp. And the people had to go to worship God. No longer was it inside the camp with them. No, even going back to Exodus, in Exodus 33 now, uh, God let those people know through Moses that he was angry at them. You know, when they just got delivered out of Egypt and they started worshiping a calf. Can you believe that? You just saw all these signs and these wonders. You saw the Red Sea part. You saw clouds of fire. You saw everything. And you go right into worshiping a calf, a golden calf. Moses is brother of all people. <laughs> it's crazy. This is what God had to say about it. He said, you, and this is his chosen people, mind you, you are a stiff-necked people, and should I go up into your midst for a moment, I would destroy you. That's how upset God was with it. This is how serious God took the proper worship back then. And I honestly believe, just as Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, so is the nature of God. I remember as a teenager, and this is going to be my last point. I remember as a teenager going into these youth revivals. Uh, I don't know if anybody can, you know, grow, who grew up in a church life can remember about any of that stuff. But you know, I used to go to these youth revivals when I was younger. And, you know, the music was playing. The lights were dim low. You know, it was the end of the show. And they do an altar call. I remember... I probably went to about four or five of them. Every single time, I would walk up there when they do the altar call, when they'd say, who wants to rededicate their lives to Jesus? i go, oh, me, I do, I do. I want to rededicate my life. And then I'm crying, the music's playing. You know, I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is just a great move of God. I'm worshiping God. And then I go back to high school, and a week later, that fire's gone. And what I'm getting at here is that wasn't a great move of God, at least for me. Everybody's got different experiences, but at least for me. What that was, was me getting swept up into my own emotions. Now, emotions are an amazing, amazing thing that God gave us. They cause us to cry when we read a beautiful scripture. They cause us to clap our hands when we hear an amazing song. They cause us to jump up and down for joy over something amazing that Jesus did in our lives. They cause us to dance. They cause us to do all these wonderful things that can work in perfect harmony with our worship. But what we also need to be careful of is when the emotions start to work against our worship. Now, this is a tough one. This is a heart thing. I can't point this out for anybody. This is a heart thing, and you have to examine it yourselves. 
How can we tell if our emotions are working with our worship or against it? And honestly, the answer is simple. Is God the priority of your life? Move forward one year. Is God still the priority of your life? Ten years. Is God still the priority? Fifty years. Is God still the priority? All the way to the point of death. Is God still the priority of your life? Because when God is the priority of your life, then you are worshiping in spirit and in truth. Now once again, brothers and sisters, I honestly... I know there is always going to be room for improvement in our lives. You might be beating yourself up right now. Maybe the Holy Spirit's doing it. Cause I'm, like I said, I beat me up during this. There is always going to be room for improvement while we are veiled in this flesh. And honestly, the main point that I want you to get out of this is just examine it. Examine where you can, you can improve. Make goals. Goals as in like Christian goals. If something's blocking you away from your worship of God, cut it off. I had to cut off a streaming service not too long ago during this fast period because I realized I was spending too much time in there when I should have been spending it in the Word of God. It stinks. I got no entertainment now at the house, but hey, I got this right here. You know, I'm not saying go do that. But I'm just giving you an example. Examine yourselves. Examine where we can improve our worship of God. That being said, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the freedoms that you have given us, Lord. Here in America, we are truly a prosperous nation, and we are a prosperous people under you, and we do not want to take that for granted, Lord. Please, Lord, examine us. Show us where we can improve the worship. Show us, Lord, how we can better glorify you throughout our everyday lives. I thank you, Lord, for Christ's way church, for standing on the word of God. And I thank you so much for the brothers and sisters here today, Lord. And even the ones that couldn't come for whatever reason, Lord. I pray that you bless them. Thank you so much for everything you do in our lives, Lord Jesus. Your will alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.